St. Louis Circuit Attorney Jennifer Joyce is not running for re-election, and Patrick Homaker is one of four candidates seeking to replace her. The Democrat joins us next on another edition of Politically Speaking. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Uh, I think that is fair to say. As I say, hands to kiss and babies to shake. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I think my record speaks for itself. That's a really good question. Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in our studios in St. Louis is... Colleague Joe Manis. Our special guest host today. Rachel Lippman. And our special guest in studio. Patrick Homaker, candidate for circuit attorney. Welcome. And uh, this is going to be a first in our series of talking extensively with the circuit attorney candidates in St. Louis. Jennifer Joyce, the incumbent circuit attorney, is not running for re-election. I I personally feel, and and I'm sure Rachel and Joe can back me up, that this is an extremely important office. It holds life or death decision making in in some instances. Mm -hmm. And we feel it's important for our listeners to get a sense of who these people are and what they stand for. Well, and, and and historically, I'd say for at least the last 30 or 40 years, Circuit Attorney's Office, it's not necessarily a springboard to other offices, but it gets a lot of attention, and not just over the crime stuff, but also just reg- regular, some of it's political stuff, but just um, uh, the direction of the city. Of course, we've had you know a few controversies with the Circuit Attorney, i.e. George Peach, um, who was one of the longer-running uh, ones who I actually knew well, obviously not well enough, but <laughs> and uh, so we've had a uh, number of ones, and Jennifer Joyce is the latest, and I, I was honored to, um, she had talked to me when she decided to retire. Um, and in this contest, it, because St. Louis is basically a Democratic city, whoever wins in August is pretty much, it's going to be this next circuit attorney, which is one of the reasons we're focusing so much on this for the primary. So I'm going to make this announcement for all four shows that we do, but we are recording this within a span of a week. None of the candidates will have heard each other's podcasts. So they're basically on their own to make their case of why they want to be circuit attorney as opposed to riffing off of each other. So with that lengthy explanation out of the way, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, let me begin by first uh, thanking Joe Jason and Rachel for allowing me to be on this podcast. I am an avid listener of the show. I try to listen to each one of them. Um, I grew up in Brentwood, just outside the city of St. Louis. My Both my parents are from Chicago. They moved to St. Louis right before I was born, so I am a Cardinals fan. I am a Blues fan. Which part of Chicago? Um, my mom grew up in Evanston. Oh, my. And my dad, <laughs> my dad grew up, though, near Loyola, Chicago, where I went to college. Uh-huh. So we always kind of joke in the family that she kind of grew up on the wealthy side. My dad grew up on the very poor side, and they kind of met in the middle. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that. I grew up in uh, Buffalo Grove, which is a northwest suburb that's a semi-affluent uh, suburb, and um, my my mom moved to Evanston when I was 18 years old, 
And since few people in Missouri, when I went to the University of Missouri, Columbia, knew where Buffalo Grove was, I just kind of lied and said I from lived Evanston. in Evanston. Because <laughs> and I, I went to school there. Yeah. So. Well, it's, it's more Tony also. It, it sounds it, more. Parts of it, it's, yeah. It's, it's one of the more. greatest cities in America, <laughs> but continue. Well, actually, my parents, when they first got married, lived in Buffalo Grove. Oh, are you serious? Yes. And so my older brother. And you think St. Louis is a small world? <laughs> and so um, I'm the second oldest of four. And so right before I was born, they left Buffalo Grove to come to St. Louis. Well, a lot of people leave Buffalo Grove like the host of this podcast. (laughs) So I won't hold it against anybody, but I continue. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the St. Louis question, I went to DeSmet for high school. I played hockey there. I went to Loyola Chicago for undergrad. And then I went to Mizzou for law school, um, pretty much for the sole purpose to become a prosecutor. And I was fortunate to get hired by Miss Joyce um, after I passed the bar exam. And I've been a prosecutor ever since. I'm a career prosecutor in the office now. When did you graduate from the law school? I graduated in 2011. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because it's actually... Okay. It's five years ago. And, <laughs> no, 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 no. No, it's not the length. I Just, you know, full disclosure, my son graduated from Mizzou Law School. Both of my kids are lawyers, as most people know. My son graduated from Mizzou that year. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I just of discovered course, it all comes back around. <laughs> and, and also, full disclosure, um, you graduated with uh, at least one of my very good friends, Lucinda Housley, Luke DeMeyer, who's married to one of my other good friends, Tony Luke DeMeyer. Just showing, like, this is the most small world <laughs> yes. podcast. I know. Is very good friends with somebody that I know as well through a third mutual. So, yes. But, if we aren't explaining how small world of city St. Louis is right now. Uh, we're, we're up to minute five. Or <laughs> or just untangling things. So, what sure. did you what did you do in in Jennifer Joyce's office as far as this, your specific focus? Yeah, so I still work there now. Um, I did a little bit of everything to get into the position that I'm in now. I currently handle murder cases, robberies, assaults, kind of the worst of the worst. Along the way, I've done everything from misdemeanor crimes to um, property damage crimes, burglary crimes, but also been a part of some specialized units. Um, Bomb and arson cases, I was the attorney who handled those cases, reviewed those cases for about a year. I was on a casino task force where I reviewed and issued cases coming out of the casino. I've also been a part of a property housing grant uh, position. And so I've done a little bit of everything. Was it always sort of with the intent to go to a higher office to kind of get that experience and see um, what the office looked like from all different angles? Yeah, I mean, when I met with Miss Joyce and interviewed with her, I told her I had two real main goals. You know, that was to try the most serious cases. And the second goal was to really immerse myself in the community. I wanted to go out to the neighborhoods and um, get to know the people who lived across our city and listen to their concerns about crime in their neighborhoods, educate them on what the circuit attorney's uh, role is and what we do. Because, you know, we were talking about in the introduction that this is a very important um, uh, seat. And for the most part, politically, I've noticed that a lot of people, when you say circuit attorney, have no idea what that means. You know, you have to explain, well, it's the same as a district attorney or state's attorney. Um, And so I've really enjoyed kind of doing both those things. To get to the most serious cases, I kind of took it upon myself to keep pushing myself to be attached to specialized units. And um, I think that's given me a really well-rounded experience to deal with 
the violent criminals that I deal with now. So in order to run for circuit attorney, if you're already an assistant circuit attorney, do you have to like take a leave of absence in order to run or, or do you just sort of run when you're not working? Right. Um, I did take a leave of absence um, and I'm going to be on leave now for the rest of the campaign. When I first announced, you know, I had met with Miss Joyce and told her why I wanted to do this and, um, you know, worked with her. And um, she's been really great about giving me the ability to do my job, but to also go out there and um, campaign. Well, one of the interesting things about your campaign, at least to me, is when I go on the website, there's this rather extensive video that a viewer can watch. And it does show one of the uh, police officers who had been shot and wounded and who you had represented in the, or rather you had prosecuted the assailant. Um, I'm just interested in how that came about because I don't, that's something I thought was rather unusual. Um, I guess unusual how? Well, the fact that you had a, a, you know, a a police officer who's now on permanent disability, um, in effect, endorse you and talk about his case. Yeah, so, you know, I I got assigned that case, and I was handled to prosecute the case. Uh, the defendant wanted a trial, and so, you know, working the case up to go to trial, you I developed a relationship with that police officer. Um, you know, for those who don't know, the basic facts in that case were the police officer was off duty on the time. He went over to his sister's house to check on uh, his nephew, and while he was over in that house, um, the defendant who was dating the off-duty officer's sister at the time was pack- packaging drugs in the basement. And after he kicked him out of the house, the defendant returned to the front yard and shot the officer, um, shot at him several times, struck him once in the leg that essentially ruined his career as a police officer. So, you know, going through that case, um, I developed a relationship with that police officer and you know we were able to get a successful conviction against the defendant in that case and then you know we've been friends af- uh, ever since afterwards um he's getting a graduate school um degree and you know i'm close friends with his family now and he's asked me to help him with um, certain charity work that he's done. And when I told him that I wanted to run for circuit attorney, he asked me if there was anything I could do. And, you know, one of the ideas we had was to do a campaign video and release it out there. And fortunately, he was willing to do that. Now, it does sort of crystallize, though, some of the issues the circuit attorney is facing these days, the rise in crime, the rise in gun violence. I mean, I mean, it sort of was like... A, exemplifying some of the key issues that are facing the city right now. And you did talk about that. Uh, Do you see that as the key issue in the race? Yeah, I mean, violent crime is our number one issue here in the city of St. Louis. Um, You know, the FBI called us the number one most dangerous city in America this year. Last year, we had a 20-year high in homicides. This year, we're on pace to match or exceed that. And so, yeah, I do believe dealing with the most violent offenders is our number one issue. Do do you agree with um, Ms. Joyce and the Chief Dotson, who have put some of the blame on the judges for giving people brought in on illegal gun charges low bond, and that allows, in their eyes, them to go out and commit larger crimes? 
Well, I understand the frustration, you know, that uh, the chief has with the level of crime. You know, I'm frustrated by the level of crime. I go out there and I talk to members in the community and they're very frustrated. But at the same time, I don't think there's many criminals who are going around the city um, committing crimes because they think the judges are soft. So one of the things that I really want to do is um, bring the stakeholders together and have them at the table and say, listen, we can all agree violent crime is our problem. How can we all address this, uh, address this together? And I think that's a much more productive way to handle it. So how would you address, like, if, if how would you kind of address the combating violent crime? Because once somebody is arrested and charged with something, it's up to the circuit attorney to make sure it's followed through. What would kind of be your philosophy on not only targeting individual cases, but trying to be part of stamping it out completely? Yeah. So I really believe in the smart on crime philosophy, and that is going after and identifying the most violent offenders. One of the first things I want to do is put more prosecution resources to review those cases and prosecute violent offenders. I think, uh, getting back to what I was saying, we need to form strategic partnerships with the police department, the city hall, the U.S. attorney's office to uh, all address this issue. One of the big things that um, I really want to bring is the focus deterrence crime strategies um, <coughs> program to the city of St. Louis. And I think that program um, you know, can address all these issues and also get to the other issue of building the trust between law enforcement and the community. That was going to be my next question because I think that's also a, a pretty large cloud looming over this race ever since Michael Brown's death and also after several police shootings in the city, mm -hmm. I think there's been a pretty broad discussion about how to improve relations between law enforcement and the African-American community. So I'll ask very simply, how does the circuit attorney play a part in that? Because some would say that they're instrumental in that. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think there's a several ways. You know, One, going out into the community and educating people, letting them get to know who their circuit attorney is and who their assistant circuit attorneys are, um, educating them about the process, about the criminal justice system. On top of that, you know, I've always believed that being a prosecutor is much more than just convictions. It's about really trying to address some of these root causes of crime and keeping people out of the revolving door of the criminal justice system. So, you know, I think we can institute some policies internally in the office where we're expanding, you know, diversionary programs for those with mental health issues, drug addiction issues, uh, veterans, and some nonviolent offenders. Additionally, you know, we can have more diversity in that office. And, um, you know, a byproduct of the focus deterrence model is bringing that community uh, and the law enforcement closer together. Now, as you look at, I mean, what made you decide that you yourself would be the best candidate to run for this job? Was there a particular case, such as the one in, the, in your ad, or was it just looking over your experience or maybe the opposition? I'm just inter I'm intrigued because this is one of the more crowded contests. There's four. Right. So I, I'm just and you're running, and you're running against a colleague, too. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's a couple things. You know, I I felt I had the right experience, you know, trying the most violent offenders, um, really getting out there in the community. I had built up a lot of relationships with lots of people throughout the city and all different kinds of neighborhoods. But, you know, I think I was one of the last people to um, officially announce that I was running for circuit attorney. And that was after a good six months of really looking at this race and analyzing it. And I was looking for, from the other candidates, um, a real concrete vision for how they wanted to move you know, our office forward and the city of St. Louis forward. And ultimately, I just didn't see that from any of the other candidates. And you know, it's, this is such an important job, as you were talking about. And we have some really, really big issues um, that we really need to address. And we need to have someone there who's not just looking a year ahead, but who's looking five, 10 years forward. And ultimately, I, I thought um, I had a good vision and going out there and meeting with um, some of the relationships I had built with people in the neighborhood was very positive responses. And what I've seen on the campaign trail ever since is really wide, diverse uh, support, you know, whether it's rank and file police officers or people out of, you know, the activist side. Um, it's it's really wide ranging and it's, it's been very encouraging ever since. I mean, you picked up the endorsement of the Ethical Society of the Police, which represents the African-American. Um, do you have a sense of, of what drove that? Was there something in particular they cited when they gave you the endorsement? Yeah, I was really proud to get that endorsement. Um, I put a lot of work into reaching out to them and, you know, explaining my background and explaining my vision. And I met with their organization several times. And I think it sends really a great signal to uh, the community that I'm someone who can kind of bridge some of these gaps that we have here in St. Louis and bring people together. I mean, I'm running against two other African-Americans. I'm the bald white guy in this race. And so <laughs> to, to get that, to, to get that endorsement, I think, really sends the right message, especially with everything going on in the criminal justice system right now. One of the big recommendations of the Ferguson Commission, in fact, it might have been the first signature recommendation, is that whenever there's a police-involved killing, the prosecutors should recuse themselves and have an independent prosecutor come in. Now, they recommended the attorney general, and that would probably require you know, state law being changed. I'm not sure if a prosecutor and can do that And probably additional by, staff, too. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm sure that that is possible to do if there's a, a request. But I'm just wondering philosophically, if you're a circuit attorney and there is a police-involved killing while or you're shooting. in office, mm-hmm. um, would you recuse yourself and have somebody else try that case? Yeah, and that's a position that I've taken since day one on this campaign. I actually think I'm the only candidate who's worked on an officer-involved shooting case, and and not the case that's um, in the in my campaign video, but where an officer uh, shot and killed um, an individual. And after working on that case, you know, it takes it took up a lot of additional time for me and a lot of additional resources in our office, and I was one of several members of that team. So on top of my already big caseload. And so after dealing with that case and talking to people out in the community, you know, it was my opinion that these are best handled by a special prosecutor. You know, we rely on the police every day to do their job so we can do our job. And I do think there is a conflict when we're asked to prosecute those types of cases. Well, who would you have as special prosecutor? 
So I really like former U.S. attorneys. Um, they generally end up at big law firms so they can help kind of cover some of those resources. U.S. attorneys are some of our best prosecutors in the country. And I know that's who Jennifer has gone to in um, certain cases where she thought there was a conflict. Um, and I, so I, I prefer those individuals. Because one of the geographic challenges of a city of St. Louis prosecutor recusing themselves is the only neighboring one is Bob McCullough, the St. Louis County prosecutor. Or St. Well, no, St. Charles. They don't border St. Louis. Not not saying it has to be a bordering county per se, but that would be the most obvious choice. And while I'm not trying to say that to disparage Bob McCullough, he's still fairly well respected well, among many legal well, services. Well, he but, is, and he's an institution. But, Whether one agrees or disagrees, he's an institution. But they, he obviously has a lot of critics. So that was, I, that, even even he brought that up when we t- asked him about that issue mm-hmm. and making it mandatory. Like, you know, there could be situations if it was a bordering prosecutor where he would come into the city, and I'm sure that wouldn't really make a lot of people happy, essentially. But, yeah, you know. listeners who are really interested we had a great podcast with McCullough a while back, and you can look through our list of podcasts and see it. So and I listened to it. Yeah, I'm sure you did. <laughs> so you've been in the office for a few years. How would like you restructure, reorganize it? Because they're going to definitely the, – the next the J- Jennifer Joyce's successor is going to have a lot of say in how this office runs. What, what about the office do you think can be – structured in a different way to make things more effective? Right. Great question. And, um, you know, I have to say I have a lot of respect for Miss Joyce. Um, Not only did she give me a job, but she gave me lots of opportunities to move up within that office and really to put myself in this position. Um, She has a tremendous amount of integrity. She has so much respect when I'm out there in the community. Um, But, you know, I think she does realize whoever wins this race is going to come in there and change things up. One of the things that I see is that I feel we're very top heavy on how many supervisors we have in that office. Um, So again, I want to have more prosecutors focusing on violent offenders. And I think we can do that by reducing some of the supervisors that we have um, and also having them take on larger caseloads. You know, one of the big things, one of the big pressures we have as assistant circuit attorneys is the uh, amount of cases that we have. And with a kind of crazy docket system that we have here in uh, the city of St. Louis, you know, it's um, it really puts tremendous amount of pressure. And so I think some restructuring in how the supervision of of uh, we, we handle that. On top of that, you know, I want to establish a better recruiting program. Um, I know we have a difficult time recruiting minorities to come to our office um, locally. What I want to do is start early in the law schools here, and that's, you know, at SLU and Wash U and also where I went to law school. And if we're having trouble, you know, getting um, good minority recruits, you know, we need to expand and go regionally. Up in Chicago, for instance, you have five law schools within one city. And I think cost effectively, we can send an individual up there and um, go hit those law schools within two days and really convince people that St. Louis is a great place to live and this is a great place to work. And I say that because, you know, St. Louis is a very affordable urban city. 
Um, the rent here is cheap, and if you have lots of student loans, like I do, and most people do coming from law school, you know, that's something that you're looking for. But also the experience level that we get in our office is really bar none. You know, if I was trying cases up in Chicago or in Manhattan or in Brooklyn or even in Nashville, it would have taken me about three years to try lower level um, jury trials. For better or for worse, I tried my first jury trial my third week on the job. And I got Did to, you win? <laughs> I did win. Um, and then I got to homicide cases in about three years. And so where else can you get that kind of experience? On top of that, you know, I established a mentorship program within our office. Um, about a year, and a, a year and a half ago, I saw a real need for new attorneys who are coming to our office to have an older, more experienced attorney um, kind of mentor them not only through the courtrooms, but also through the office structure. You know, I don't come from attorneys. My dad's a salesman. My mom's a preschool teacher. Uh, my brother actually did, my older brother went to law school, but he became a journalist. Um, he works for NBC down in Miami, actually. Um, and so, you know, when I first started out, you know, I knew the law, but I didn't know how to apply that. And on top of that, we have lots of young people who are just coming straight from college to law school, and this is their first job that they've ever had. So I saw a real need for people to kind of figure out the political structure of an office. And so that's something that I'm interested in expanding as well. Are there programs or uh, organizational th things that you know you want to keep in place in the office? I'm thinking of sending the prosecutors out to the homicide scenes. I'm I, uh, just kind of, are there other things that you know you want to keep in place that you think have been effective? Yeah, the homicide um, scenes has been, um, I, I really like it. It's, it's something that Jennifer Joyce implemented. Um, and, you know, I live in Lafayette Square, so fairly close to the city. So I can get downtown rather quickly, and then I can catch a ride from a police officer to go to one of the scenes. Um, you know, some of my colleagues are not as fortunate. So, you know, there has been internally some discussions about how we can improve that program. And I think we can put, again, shifting more prosecutors to go to the scenes. Um, I have been even more beneficial, what I've seen firsthand, is when we're at homicide uh, headquarters and we're getting to see in real time interviews of witnesses. You know, that allows us to establish relationships um, a lot quicker. Um, and then, you know, we tried to do more vertical prosecution that way. So I think that's a program I would keep. I would like to tweak it up a little bit. Um, I would expand our uh, drug court um, influence. You know, I think we can allow more individuals, nonviolent individuals, to get into drug court programs. I want to play more of an active role in establishing the mental health court uh, program here in the city of St. Louis. There's one judge who's working on establishing that. I want to be a big player in doing that. Um, but again, a lot of the stuff that I want to do and my vision for it is within the framework of what we already have. I can't expect that our budget is going to get much bigger than it already is. And I think, you know, just like lots of other entities here in the city of St. Louis, there are a lot of resources that we just need to reach out to these organizations and have better partnerships with them. I know this is a question that is out of your control or out of anybody's control, but when I saw the chief's comments about the quote-unquote unaccountability of judges in St. Louis, it made me think that it was kind of an implicit attack on the fact that judges in St. Louis are under the nonpartisan court plan 
Um, I guess I could try to explain that process, but basically it involves people applying for the judgeships, having three nominees, and the governor chooses them. It was actually put in place during the Tom Pendergast era, but also during a time when St. Louis ward organizations had a disproportionate influence on the judiciary. And so, it is also nationally recognized as a correct. good, uh, as a model for an unelected, there's a lot of organizations that believe judges shouldn't be elected because of the corrupting influence of, of money or having to campaign, essentially. Right. So, now, most of Missouri, though, just to be clear, uh, mm-hmm. below the appellate court level, they are elected. elected. Sure. Mm-hmm. So the reason I'm bringing this up is you, you, you can't obviously change this on your own. In fact, I think it would require a statewide constitutional change for this to occur. But do you what, what's your thoughts on taking St. Louis out of the nonpartisan court plan? I wouldn't do it. I mean, I, I agree with uh, what Rachel was just saying here. I think that if we open this up to elections, then it would be outside influences, money coming in to really influence these decisions. And I just don't think that's going to be a great way to pick judges here in the city of St. Louis. I think that, you know, it's maybe not a perfect system, but I think it's, um, you know, and, you know, sometimes uh, that the system makes mistakes. But, you know, for the most part, um, I think it's been a great system. And um, I I would be way too concerned about outside influences coming in in this kind of uh, election. Because you see Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You you were talking before about... um, you know that the budget probably isn't going to expand much beyond what you have now and that there's resources to tap into. Are there any in particular that you're thinking of that the office right now isn't currently accessing that kind of fits into your strategy that you would want to reach out to and sort of build up a relationship with? Yeah. um, You know, one of the things that I've been looking at is um, witness protection uh, money money to provide you know better services for our witnesses and our victims in cases if they feel threatened. There's a statute, um, a Missouri statute, that authorizes the prosecuting attorney to seek resources. And I believe the resources come through the Missouri Office of Prosecution Res- uh, Services, uh, MOPS. And so, you know, that's one thing that I I think we have, we do have big witness and victim participation problems. I think the bigger problem issue with that is the trust that they don't have in the system. I think that p- plays into some of them being scared, but I think the bigger issue is that they really just don't trust the criminal justice well, system. Well, there have been cases. I mean, I'm going back a few years, maybe about 10, 12 years ago, where we had a series of victims or witnesses who ended up being targeted. Mm-hmm. Um, are there things that you think needs to be done with the program to more protect uh, witnesses or victims, um, especially before the trials? Or, I mean, what are you seeing as a prosecutor? Yeah, I mean, I like I said, I think we can. I think we can get this money because it's out there and it is going to provide resources such as lodging and transportation to move people around if they feel so threatened. And of course, you know, we've definitely had those kind of cases, um, just like, you know, other major urban cities have. Um, I'm looking into, you know, expanding some of our victim services program. It's a great um, office within our own office, you know, great people that work there um, that really go above and beyond for a lot of individuals and, you know, looking to expand 
those kind of things, I think, is realistic within our framework that we have. Well, thank you for joining us. We, we really appreciate your time and, and willingness to talk about this important job for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at... Jay Manis, that's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. You can follow Rachel on Twitter at... At R. Lipman, two P's and two N's. And how would we follow you on Twitter? Yeah, it's at Patrick Hamaker. Hamaker is H-A-M-A-C-H-E-R. I think it's important that uh, our listeners know how to spell your name right. We'll be back next time. Until then, so long. Mm-hmm.